Hi everybody, welcome back to Weekly Haftorah. Um, this week we are actually going to be taking a look at the Haftorah for the first day of Shavuos instead of this week's Parsha. I chose this because I know it will actually apply to everyone in this group. I should mention that because Shavuos is a two-day yantif this year, the Israelis, who only keep one day, are going to read Parsha's Naso and the Haftorah from Shoftim tomorrow. And people who are in Chutz La'aretz or in Israel from Chutz La'aretz um, are actually going to have another day of special Torah readings and Haftorah this Shabbos because it will actually be the second day of Shuvas. So as a result of that, there's going to be a few weeks coming up where we're reading a different Parsha here in Israel than the people are reading in Chutz La'aretz. And next week, I'll talk about how exactly we're going to address that discrepancy in this group moving forward. But for now, because everybody has the same readings and everything for the first day of Shavuos, I'm going to speak about that because I know that it will apply to everybody. So the Torah reading for the first day of Shavuos, appropriately, comes from Sefer Shmos, Prokim, Yud, Tes, and Chaf. So that's the book of Exodus, chapters 19 and 20. These are the prakim um, that come right after Yisro, where um, we're receiving the Torah and we're given the Aseris Adibros. So I'm not going to go through this in too much detail, but I will mention some noteworthy moments. Um, Hashem comes to Moshe and says, I want to give the Torah. Moshe warns the people. He comes to Bnei Israel and tells them, you have to begin to purify yourselves. There's this three-day process of purification that happens before Matan Torah. Hashem tells Moshe that when this happens, when Matan Torah happens, um, all of the still have to stay at the bottom of Har Sinai. They have to stay in the camp, with the exception of a few of the Sikanim. So these are like high-ranking um, you know, members of the community. They can come a little bit closer to Matan Torah, but they still you know, have to stay pretty far down the mountain. Moshe can only be the one that's up on top of the mountain very directly um, receiving Torah. And um, Parakhaf opens with the beginning of the Aseris Adibros. And I'm going to run through them really quickly because they're read in shul. It's a custom to stand up for the reading of the Ten Commandments. It's actually, you know, a bit controversial. Some people say you should stand, some people say you shouldn't. But here they are nonetheless. So the first is, I am Hashem your God who brought you out of Egypt and brought you out of slavery. Number two, you should not make any idols for yourself. You will not serve idols. You will not do a Vodazara. Number three, you should not swearly, swear falsely by God's name. Number four, remember Shabbos and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor and do not covet your neighbor's house, wife, property, etc. So the Torah reading actually also finishes off with a few psukim from Bamidbar Parakhav Ches, which is speaking about the exact sacrifices that would be given up in the Mishkan or in the Beis HaMikdash on Shavuos. And that's where our reading ends. So now let's get into the Haftorah a bit. It comes from the first parak of Sefer Yechezkel. And to set a bit of historical context, I'll say that Yechezkel is prophesizing to the Jews in the Babylonian exile. He's one of the Nevi'im Rishonim, and his prophecy began just before the destruction of the first temple. He's prophesizing from the Jewish years around 3332 to 3352. His prophecy began around the year 430 BCE, if that's an easier way for you to sort of orient this in time. His contemporary Nevi'im 
word Sephania in Yermiyahu, and he was actually said to be a student of the prophet Yeshayahu. So um, the contemporary Nevi'im all kind of know each other and are working together. Um, he lived in Yehuda, which was the southern kingdom closer to Yerushalayim, and he begins prophesizing after the two kingdoms have split in two, again, just before the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. He was one of the very first people to actually be exiled by the Babylonians. Um, the Babylonians had this program of conquering lands. When they would conquer a land, they would deport the native populations, essentially switch them around in order to sort of disconnect the people that lived there from their land. In theory, it would be much harder to rebel if there was a population that, that didn't know the land that it was living in. So that was the thought behind sort of deporting people and moving them around the empire. So the prophecies in Yechezkel serve multiple purposes. The earlier on prophecies are discussing the impending destruction of the temple, and they discuss it as a result of prior sins. And later prophecies are nachamas, their comforts, they're ensuring the Jewish people that the destruction is only temporary and that the temple is going to come back again. This week's half Torah, however, doesn't actually really fall into either of those categories because it's the very, very beginning of the Sefer and it's a description of Yechezkel's very first experiences of Nevuah in his very first visions as a Navi. So, Already from this, we can kind of start to see a parallel between the Torah reading. Um, Yechezkel's very first ascent up into Shemayim and Moshe's um, experiences, very intimate experience with Hashem on top of Harsinai. So we can also already start to see that parallel. So before I get into our summary, I'd like to note a few things. First, this parak comprises what Chazal call the Maase Merkava, which translates to the work of the divine chariot. And they call it one of the most difficult prakim to understand in all of Tanakh. And we'll very quickly start to understand why when we get into it. Uh, in fact, there is a Rashi on Pasuk Chaf Zion of the first parak, where um, the Navi is describing the actual appearance of God. The Navi is describing what he saw when he saw God. And Rashi says, um, He literally says, I was not given permission to think too deeply about these words. So we have to go into this with the knowledge that we're peeking into the text, into a text with a very, very deeply Kabbalistic meaning. And it's something that we inherently are not going to understand. Um, some of the Mepharshim describe this parak like Matan Torah in a sense, because at Matan Torah, if someone looked too directly at the presence of the Shekhinah, at, at God's like presence, close to the earth, they would get physically hurt. And so too, if we try to look too far into this parak of Yechezkel, it might not be such a good thing. So we are working with something that might even be simpler than the Peshat when we look into this this week, because that's really the what we can understand. Whatever we think we understand, we don't. Um, and the language throughout this parak, we actually see the words dome and mare quite a bit. Um, and those words mean the appearance of, or it looked like. So those are the words of the Navi. Yechezkel is merely doing his best to describe what he saw. So if even the Navi himself isn't entirely sure what exactly just happened, call the Homer all the more so, we can't really understand it either. So with that, we'll attempt to take a very quick look at this text, and then 
um, talk a bit about what it means. So in the first Pasuk, Yechezkel is describing the time and place where he says, He says, The heavens opened and I saw visions of Hashem for the first time. The Navi describes an almost stormy scene. He says that there was a stormy wind that came in from the north. There was this massive cloud that came flashing fire. And in the center of the storm, he he saw the word is achashmal. And a lot of translations, they translate that to, to like a gleaming glint. He says that in the middle of this chashmal, there were four angels. And he then describes the angels. He says that they had bodies that looked like humans. The form was like the form of humans, but they each had four faces and four wings and a single leg. He says that of their faces, one was like the face of a human, one was like the face of an eagle, one like an ox, and one like a lion. He then moves on to describe how these angels would move about, would move around in this heavenly court that he's looking into. He says that they had something next to them that looked like a wheel. Again, this is using the lashon of of dome, of it, it looked like a wheel. He's not really sure exactly what this is, but it looks like a wheel. Um, and that is how they could, they could move around in unison with one another. Um, he says that they only move according to the will of God in a stable, graceful, coordinated fashion. And Yechezkel describes them as all coming together to form a single structure when they move about in the heavenly court. And that's why this parrot gets the name Masse Merkava, because they almost looked like they were moving as a single unit, as a chariot. Um, the last few psukim of the Haftorah are describing the actual appearance of God himself. And I'm not even going to try to, to summarize this because it's just too esoteric. And I don't want to misrepresent what the psukim are saying. As always, I'm linking the text of the actual Haftorah in the in the message in the description so i really encourage you to go and look at sukkim chaf base onwards for yourself to sort of try and glimpse at it a little bit and form your own meaning for yourself but i don't want to misrepresent what it says so i'll let the sukkim speak for themselves i don't say that so often but this being the most difficult to understand parak and alf tanach i feel like it's appropriate this week so um you might be thinking, what the heck just happened? And I'm thinking that too, but let's try to make a little bit of sense of that, of this. So you might remember back to Parshas Yisro. If you've been with this year um, for that long, we looked at the Haftorah for Parshas Yisro. And Parshas Yisro actually contained the exact same Torah readings, plus a bit more like the, the Yisro story before Matan Torah. Um, but this, the, the selections in Parshas Yisro and for the first day of Shavuos are almost exactly the same. Um, however, when we read Parshas Yisro, these two prakim of Shmos, as a normal Parsha, we pair it with the Haftorah, which comes from Yeshayahu Perak Vav. So when we read these prakim on a normal week, they have a different Haftorah than they have when we read them on Shavuos. So Parak Vav of Yeshayahu, as a reminder, is where Yeshayahu is brought up to the heavenly court and where he's appointed as a Navi. So he has like a very, almost like a similar experience in his life as Yechezkel does this week. But the descriptions of what exactly this heavenly court looks like look very different 
in each of these Nevi'im. So I noticed from learning both of both of these Prakim that Yechezkel's description of the heavenly court is much more detailed and it's much more visual. So Yeshayahu is describing the faces of the angels. He's describing what the storm looked like, what the lightning looked like, and even goes so far as to describe the appearance of God himself, which again, we don't really understand what these words mean that he's using, but that's the intention behind them. And these details accumulate to produce sort of a tone in Yechezkel's Nevoah that almost seems a bit more awe-stricken than Yeshayahu. Yeshayahu, on the other hand, focuses much more on his own um, experiences in the heavenly court through the lens of his interactions with the different figures there. So he doesn't, he, he does describe the angels, but he doesn't describe them in such vivid detail. He speaks much more about his interactions with them, them bringing the hot coal to his lips and, you know, him being in this place and having this experience of being appointed as a Navi than he does about the actual visual aspect of what it looks like up there. So I actually was speaking about this parallel and contrast a bit with my husband, and he told me that there is a Gemara in Chagiga, which speaks about this exact topic. So I went and checked it out, and this is what I found. So Rava, who is one of the Rebbeim in the Gemara, points out this exact discrepancy, this this difference in, in approaches of each of the Nevi'im that I just described. And he actually explains that Yechezkel, he calls Yechezkel something like a Ben Kfar, a villager. So this is somebody who lives far away from the palace. He lives far away from the king. He doesn't see the king so often. This is not a normal occurrence for him. And as a result, he's very excited by the extravagance of the palace. He's, he's excited about what's going on up there. He's never seen this before, so it's noteworthy to him. Of course, he's going to write it down. Meanwhile, Rava also says that Yeshayahu is much more like a Ben Kerach, which is someone who's a city dweller. He probably lives in close proximity to the king. He, during his career as a Navi, probably went up to the heavenly court several times and therefore didn't see such a need to describe it in such detail. This is, mo- this is more of a normal part of Yeshayahu's job as a Navi went to, to go up to the heavenly court and to see it. So he's focusing more on the exact encounters, you know, so to speak, what's going on in the palace than the, than the palace itself, because he's just more accustomed to being there. It's more normal for him. So in, in some, Yeshayahu was in the heavenly court a lot. He went there a lot and Yechezkel only saw it once. So Yechezkel, of course, is going to write down this extremely noteworthy experience he has when his nevuah begins. Um, so each of these sort of approaches to nevuah, I think we can kind of draw Midos out of these and, and look at how the Nevi'im acted and why. Um, so for us, this, this experience, it boils down to during the rest of the year, you know, we might become a bit desensitized to the splendor, the glory of the Torah that we learn and practice every day. You know, we might have a little bit more of a, of a Yeshayahu-like attitude about it because this is just you know, serving the king, so to speak, is just part of our day-to-day life. It's what we do. It's our job here on on this earth. You know, we know it's precious and it's the will of Hashem, but it's what we do all day, every day. Okay, big deal. Yeah, Torah, everything, that's that's just what we do. Um, But Shavuos, I think, uh, you know, it it pairs this this nevuah of Yechezkel for these Torah readings on at this specific time because we're meant to have an experience more like Yechezkel tonight. 
Tonight, we're receiving the Torah all over again. We're meant to see this as something that, that transformed us as a people that's not commonplace. Hashem is inviting us tonight back to Matan Torah and all, with all of the fanfare, the intimacy, the, the, the like being astounded that came along with it. And tonight we're, we're supposed to be renewing that awe and astonishment at the Torah that we've been given in, in more of a Yechezkel-like fashion. We should take note of all the things that amaze us about the Torah. Take note of our amazing ability to bring Ratzon Hashem down into this world and effectuate that in a way that no other people can and see the power, the immense power that we have um, spiritually in this physical world. And that's, I think, boils down to the, the, the point of why Yechezkel is paired with this reading um, today instead of the normal um, Yeshayahu. So I hope you ladies all have a very meaningful Kabbalah Satora, that you enjoy your dairy treats and that you have a wonderful hog. Um, some of you in this group I'll be seeing, so I'm very much looking forward to spending it with you. And I will see you guys back here next week. Chag Sameach.